Hello and welcome to Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber. Paul Herman is off this week, so I'll be flying solo for episode 77 of our show. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of big Marvel news going on, and we're going to dive into a bunch of things. But before I get started on all of that, I have some folks to thank. So thank you very much to Mike Lazinski, Otto Rogers, Christopher Skavarka, or Svarka, Corey uh, Kostiuk, Ken Hui and Andrew Joyner. They are the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. So thank you to all of them. And as members of our Patreon, they have access to exclusive content not available anywhere else. We do things like Patreon credit scenes, for which is just extra material from each episode. That's available for just a dollar a month. There, I do a weekly Q&A show for people who are contributing uh, $3 a month, so every week for sometimes anywhere from one hour to three hours, just depending on how many questions I get, I cover uh, all of them each and every week. Any questions you might have pertaining to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or sometimes questions pop up that have nothing to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm happy to answer them nonetheless. We also do there's plenty of different things that you can find over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News where you get the information on the tiers. We also do giveaways when they're uh, available for us. So there's tons of different things you can look at. And the coolest thing about it is when you do sign up, you get your own private RSS feed or your private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe to that feed so that that way you get all your content from one feed. Because we put the main show on there as well. So you get the main show and any other exclusives that you're entitled to based on the tier you've chosen on the Patreon. You get it all in one spot. You don't have to track it down from multiple locations. So that's pretty convenient. And again, all of that you can find at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. You can also find us every day at marvelstudiosnews.com where I'm writing articles about the MCU. And you can also find us on social media. So Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. And also, please feel free to share this show with your friends. And if you're on iTunes, we would love a rating and review from you, our dear listeners. So with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and get on with our show. Let's begin with what has to be the biggest story of the day, at least on the day that I'm recording this episode, which is Monday, May 7th, 2018. I had been working on the superhero news show today, and then I saw a report from CNBC that Comcast is gearing up to make another bid for Fox. And that, of course, is relevant to Marvel fans because, as I'm sure you all know, uh, in December of last year, Disney agreed to purchase the majority of 21st Century Fox, which includes the movie studio, which includes the rights to currently Fox-owned Marvel properties like X-Men and Fantastic Four and Deadpool and everything related to those properties. So with Disney buying Fox, that would mean that Disney is going to get the rights to all of those Marvel characters back, which means they go to Marvel Studios and they can subsequently be used in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now uh, Comcast is going to try, could potentially be making a bid for Disney. So here's what's going on right now, according to the CNBC report. Comcast is talking with banks right now. They are trying to secure financing for uh, a bridge loan, basically, for an all-cash bid 
for Fox that would exceed Disney's current bid, which is $52.4 billion. Now, Comcast had already put together a bid that was about a 16% premium over Disney's bid for Fox. The reason why Fox chose Disney's bid, which was lower, and this is actually in the regulatory, the regulatory filings that Fox has filed um, with the government to show, of course, they have to go through this entire regulatory process to get their deal with Disney approved. Comcast acknowledged the, I'm sorry, Fox acknowledged Comcast's bid, but uh, noted that they, of course, took the Disney bid, which was lower instead, partly because of fear of uh, running up against complications as a result of antitrust law when it comes to a potential merger with Comcast. So why does Comcast feel like that's changing? Well, Com- what Comcast is waiting on, they're not putting this bid out right now, but they're getting all of their ducks in a row so that they could potentially have the cash ready or you know, be ready to pull the cash right away to make a quick bid on Fox next month and what they're waiting on is the decision they're waiting on a judge's decision uh, that ruling in the current case that the department of justice has against the at&t time warner deal and the reason why that is so relevant is the challenges to the at&t time warner deal are exactly what fox was afraid of with a deal with comcast because a comcast and uh, a Comcast and Fox deal is actually much more comparable to the AT&T Time Warner deal than a Disney Fox deal. Uh, the Disney Fox deal, it was always thought to just be easier. And so if the AT&T Time Warner deal, it doesn't go through, then that would mean that a Comcast and Fox deal would be unlike would would not be likely to go through and that would it would basically could you know fox can argue that that would be a waste of their time and money is to go through the process of vetting this merger that potentially would not end up happening anyway and so that's why they've taken this route with disney but if the 18 if the judge rules in favor of the at&t time warner deal then that means a comcast fox deal would theoretically be approved and so one of the biggest objections that Fox had to Comcast's previous bid, that objection goes away because you can now Comcast can now say, "Look, we're going to give you more money, and based on the precedent that that gets established by this AT and T Time Warner merger, and again, that's if it's approved next month, then based on that precedent, a merger between Comcast and Fox is likely to go through. So that objection doesn't get to factor into it anymore. So." It just it's we're in the phase now where it's going to start to get really complicated, obviously. And we always knew there were going to be complications with a deal of this size. So I'm going to try and break down as many of the things that we can, you know, as many of the things that I can see right now, just based on what's being reported. Now, it is largely expected at this point that the judge is going to rule in favor of the AT&T Time Warner deal. That is expected to happen, and that's part of the reason why Comcast is so is willing to start putting together financing now and start working on that because they believe the judge is going to rule in favor of the AT&T Time Warner deal. Obviously, if the judge doesn't rule in favor of that deal, then it all goes away. But the judge in this case has there are different options when it comes to approving this merger. Uh, the AT&T Time Warner merger. It may not be, it, it, it's not always a simple yes or no. In fact, it often isn't. So when you have companies of this size that are coming together, one of the things that could happen is there could be a conditional approval 
of the AT&T Time Warner deal where in, in order to get the deal approved, then the companies as they merge would have to be willing to divest or basically sell off their interest in some, you know, in either one or more assets. And that could be anything from, it could be something relatively inconsequential from some uh, small subsidiaries that you've never heard of all the way up to, as we know, in terms of what the, the justice department is after, whether that's something like CNN or direct TV, I don't think that's ultimately going to be what happens, but those, those would be the kinds of things where it, even if it got approved, but if it got approved with a major divestment like a CNN or a DirecTV, that kind of approval wouldn't really give Fox confidence in taking a bid from Comcast because it's like, well, okay, but it doesn't count if we only get approved by giving up a huge business unit. But if it gets, if the AT&T Time Warner deal gets approved and there is no significant divestiture that's required in order to do that, then it becomes a situation where Comcast can feel... Uh, much more confident in making another run at Fox. So what happens if Comcast actually, if the deal gets approved, uh, the AT&T Time Warner deal gets approved, and then Comcast turns around and wants to go ahead and make a deal with Fox? Well, uh, and I should also point out, if you're wondering why you know this can even happen, even though uh, Disney and Fox have agreed to a deal, an agreement is not a deal closed. And so... We, you have many more months. In fact, you have it could be even more than a year before the uh, Disney Fox deal will get approved. And so, any time in the interim, a competing bid can come in, and that can be from any company. We just happen to have reports now that it's going to be Comcast again. And so, you know, th- there's no safety in the deal. Disney is not guaranteed anything at uh, at this point, even though. Both sides have already dedicated resources to trying to work on this transition and go through the regulatory process. They are months into that regulatory process, um, but it doesn't matter. That that can all go out the window if Comcast comes in and makes another bid. So what happens if Comcast comes in and, and makes another bid and it ends up being higher than Disney? Well, of course, Disney has the opportunity at any point in time to increase their bid. So the the end result of this could just be Comcast drives up the price and Disney just has to pay, you know, almost out of spite, like Disney just has to pay more for these uh, Fox assets that Comcast would all, would also want to have. So that could be that could be the result of it. Um, but there is a chance that Comcast could could get could really could buy Fox out from under Disney that can happen and the way that it would have to happen is Comcast that you know people look at this and they look at the Murdoch family and they they're happy with the Disney deal but they their voting rights among shareholders even though obviously they're majority shareholders in the company their combined voting rights uh, based on reports I've seen amount to 17 percent so you still have 83 percent of shareholder voting rights to account for. And that's where Comcast can go in. And if they can convince all the other shareholders, or at least a majority of their those shareholders, to accept the Comcast bid instead, because the regulatory fears are a myth and they will and the deal would ultimately get approved, just like this AT&T, this AT&T Time Warner deal, then even without the approval or the votes of the Murdochs, you could still see Comcast securing uh, an approved bid to buy Fox. But the question becomes, 
especially if this is an all cash bid, the question that shareholders are going to have is, well, what are, because if they're buying, uh, the Disney deal was largely a, a stock deal. And so you, as a shareholder, you can either try and look at the present value of getting the money on your shares immediately from a purchase from Comcast or potentially the increased shareholder value of being a part of a, a bigger, stronger, more powerful Disney conglomerate. So those are all the things that the shareholders would have to, uh, that they would have to consider if they're going to try and decide what they want to do, uh, what is going to work better for them. Obviously the Murdochs are most likely want going to want to continue to push the Disney deal and they'll continue to argue that the Disney deal is a smoother transition even though the AT&T Time Warner deal, even if it gets approved, it would take it took a long time to get that approval, and it's not uh, you know, and they don't want to go back to square one with a new company with Comcast when they're already a few months into the Disney deal. So there will still be plenty of reason, especially if it's a higher Disney bid, there will be plenty of reason why uh, you know why Fox would still take a Disney bid that could still ultimately be lower than Comcast bid, but still maybe just a little bit higher than Disney's original $52.4 billion bid. So I know the part that you care about. I, I, I wanted to outline all of that first before I even got into the Marvel stuff, because I should also note, we're going to talk about the Marvel stuff, and that's obviously the most relevant thing for us as fans, but the Marvel, the rights to Marvel characters, to, to a hand, to what is essentially a handful of Marvel properties, relatively speaking, that's not the big. That's really not the big concern here for Comcast or for Disney. It's not why Disney made this deal. In fact, I, I would I would imagine that the getting the rights back to X Men and Fantastic Four and everything related to those probably wasn't even in Disney's top five reasons to make this deal with Fox. There are, there's way more at play here from Fox's share of Sky Media to Fox's uh, movie studio library to you know, obviously Fox's studio and all the assets that come with that. That's not just related to uh, to Marvel characters. You also have Fox's stake of Hulu, where if Disney got it, they would own a major they would own the majority of Hulu. So there's tons of big things in this deal that have nothing to do with the Marvel characters, but obviously that's what, and, and by the way, Universal is not making this bid or trying to put together another bid. They're not doing this because, oh, they, they really want to make sure they get the Marvel characters because they may not get the Marvel characters anyway. And so that's what I want to explain right now, because the answer is, how does this, the answer to that all important question of if Comcast buys Fox instead of Disney, what does that mean for the Marvel the, the Marvel properties that Fox currently owns? And unfortunately, the only answer I can give you is, well, it depends. It depends on the language of the contracts, of the licensing agreements for those properties that Fox has licensed from Marvel. So what you would hope if you're a Marvel fan who wants to see those character who wants to see those rights go back to Disney and therefore Marvel Studios what you would hope is that there is explicit language within those contracts that makes the license completely non-transferable even in the event of a merger or acquisition there's usually there's there, it's very common for there to be non um language in terms of blocking a transfer where which is basically to say Fox can't sell the rights to somebody else. It's not theirs to sell. 
but it can be different if Fox isn't technically selling the rights to the Marvel characters. They're selling their entire company, and the Marvel licenses are just part of that. And to, to see if that would allow uh, Comcast, which is basic, which in terms of movie, movie studio terms, that's universal, would they become the new owner of that? So if there's language that specifically blocks a transfer, then that could mean that even if Comcast buys Fox out from under Disney, that the rights to the Marvel characters automatically revert to Disney because the, the license cannot be transferred. And so it goes to the owner of the properties, which is still, which is ultimately Disney and Marvel. So that could mean, so depending on the language of the contracts, all this might be moot as far as Marvel fans are concerned. Now, as far as, but of course, if the, if the licensing agreements don't have that kind of language, then we could either be in for an ugly legal battle, or it could be as simple as the rights to all of those properties that are currently licensed to Fox would just go, those licenses would go over to Universal. And that would mean Universal is in charge of producing and distributing uh, X-Men films, Deadpool films, and, um, you know, and, and Fantastic Four. Now, if you like, uh, if you like having X-Men and other things like that in, in a separate universe, then maybe that works out for you. But if you're wanting everything to be at home in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then obviously right now you need to hope that either Disney succeeds in getting its, uh, its purchase of Fox or that there's language in the contracts that blocks a transfer. That means the rights re revert to Disney no matter who buys uh, Fox. So that's kind of what you have to hope for because here's what I wouldn't expect. If Comcast buys Fox... And they and they do get to keep the rights, the Marvel movie rights that Fox currently has a, a license on. If Comcast gets that, I don't expect there to be a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings between Disney and Comcast, especially in the in a situation where Comcast has come in and basically scooped a deal that Disney had. That I would imagine the working relationship between Disney and Comcast is not going to be very good. So the likelihood of them coming together and making a deal that gets the X-Men or Fantastic Four back to uh, to Disney and therefore Marvel Studios, probably not the most likely scenario. Um, and so I know this probably means that some of you would say, well, then let's go ahead and let's root for the AT&T Time Warner deal to not get approved. And I, I certainly understand that, but I, I don't know that that's really, uh, I don't know that that's a realistic thing, although it is kind of ironic that for all the talk of Marvel DC, it could be a deal that involves DC or the company that owns DC, Time Warner, could be potentially what prevents uh, Marvel from getting all of their characters, with the exception of Spider-Man back home. Spider-Man they have on uh, basically a reoccurring loan, like a line of credit from Sony, they don't have that character outright, but at least they have access to him in the MCU. So the only things they're really missing uh, are in largely the X-Men. I mean, there's a couple other things here and there, but largely it's the X-Men slash Deadpool and Fantastic Four. And now that could potentially be in jeopardy as a result of this deal. So uh, you're going to hear probably a lot of talk about it and a lot of news about it and reports over the next couple of days. And then things will kind of quiet down while... Everybody waits for the judge to rule on the AT&T and Time Warner deal. And again, that's not expected until next month. So once we hear about that, 
then we'll know what is most likely to happen next. But if, as many expect, the AT&T Time Warner deal gets approved with minimal conditions in terms of having to have uh, divestment, then you're really going to, uh, then if that goes through, then we know that we could be in for a bidding war between Disney and Comcast for Fox. And that could involve a lot of, it could just become pretty chaotic and pretty hard to follow that could ultimately escalate to the point of shareholders voting for which bid they want. And Disney will have to, Disney along with the Murdochs who are in favor of selling to Disney as opposed, selling Fox to Disney as opposed to anybody else, they will ultimately have to convince uh, Fox shareholders that their best bet is Disney and not necessarily a higher bid uh, or a premium from uh, from Comcast. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind here that nobody else is really looking at is somebody else could come in and, and swoop in at any point and, and also make a competing bid for Fox. And that's not me reporting that somebody's going to, but you have companies that are going to be, that could see this as their, they, Comcast may not be the only company that sees an AT&T Time Warner deal approval as an opportunity to go in and maybe try and make uh, take a run at Fox. And then, of course, if they do, we have that same problem of where it just comes down to the language that's in those licensing agreements for those characters between uh, Marvel and Fox. And so a lot of people can speculate on that, but that's why I tell you it depends and it's either or. I have not seen those contracts, and I don't know any reports from anybody who's actually seen those agreements and really knows what the specific language is in them because that's that can ultimately be what it comes down to. Obviously, you don't need to worry about any of that language if Disney just fo- is able to follow through and complete their purchase of Fox. So that's the main scenario to root for if you want all of these characters to come back and be available to Marvel Studios. Um, but if that doesn't happen... Then yeah, then all attention as far as the Marvel side of this will immediately go to uh, for will immediately be everybody just looking and seeing uh, what exactly is in those contracts and will that uh, will that mean those characters get to revert back to Marvel anyway or if it uh, creates a situation where the where there's a new owner of the rights to X Men, Deadpool, Fantastic Four, and on down the line. Now I'm going to switch gears here from multi-billion dollar deals to a billion dollar movie avengers infinity war officially crossed the one billion dollar mark worldwide on saturday which marked its 11th day of release at the global box office and so that is a record that broke the previous record of fastest film to a billion that was set by uh, Star Wars, the Star Wars: The Force Awakens, in December 2015. It reached a billion in 12 days. But what I don't think is getting enough attention here. Yes, the record is impressive, but it's even more impressive than what a lot of the the perspective and, and takes and analysis I've seen on it. Which is, Avengers: Infinity War did this, and it still hasn't been released in the world's second largest movie market, which is China. The fact that Avengers Infinity War is now at about like $1.67 billion worldwide, and it did that, uh, of course, that was when you factor in the entire weekend, but crossing a billion dollars 
uh, within 11 days without China. And Star Wars The Force Awakens, when it set that record in 12 days, it was released in China at the same time that it was released domestically. And I think pretty much all or most territories, uh, it was day and date for The Force Awakens. And so, you know, there were some territory, some big territories that just opened this past weekend for Infinity War. And again, China, uh, that still hasn't happened yet. So it's really impressive to see this performance by Avengers Infinity War. And I think what we're really seeing is uh, domestically with that second weekend, which was about just under $114.8 million uh, domestically, which is a very good hold based on the opening weekend record of 258 million or just uh, just under 258 million. And so you look at that, and it's obviously a bigger drop than Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which in its second weekend it went from 248 to about 148. But of course, that was a Christmas holiday weekend that The Force Awakens had. So that was the benefit uh, domestically, as you already had a lot of families, uh, kids out of school, families out of uh, families all together to go to the, go to the movies, and that's it. So you all, you get a bump from that weekend. It was just more of a normal weekend for Avengers: Infinity War, as far as moviegoers were concerned. But regardless of that, I mean, I, I always expected Infinity War to fall behind the pace of The Force Awakens domestically. I think Star Wars will continue to be, on average, the biggest franchise domestically. But we're definitely seeing the Marvel Cinematic Universe becoming the most popular franchise worldwide, uh, especially because of China, which we're going to see when Infinity War opens there this week. But it's also a really big deal. Uh, but it, another thing to work, pay attention to is you see Star Wars in the international box office landscape. It's doing well in a lot of markets, but China actually isn't one of them. It, they, the response to Star Wars since it's come back has not been all that great because China didn't get the original Star Wars movie. So they don't have a built-in fan base with decades worth of, of reverence just pent up inside of them. They don't have that in China. And But uh, you know, Marvel has been there. Marvel's kind of been there as the Chinese box office has been growing, which was, you know, a lot of that kicked off in the late uh, 2000s when Marvel got going with Iron Man in 2008. And so Marvel has kind of grown with the Chinese market, and that's making a big difference for them. And that's kind of making Marvel uh, the dominant brand, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the dominant brand in the world because Marvel Studios. I was just writing an article a couple months ago when just uh, about a week uh, into Black Panther's run when Marvel Studios eclipsed $14 billion worldwide for all of their movies. And now between the continued success of Black Panther and then this huge and rapid revenue haul of Avengers Infinity War, Marvel Studios has now cleared $16 billion. They are going to most likely clear $17 billion once you factor in the rest of Infinity War's run and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So they'll do that this year. And it's just crazy to see the way things just keep going for Marvel Studios. In second place right now in terms of all-time franchises is Star Wars at $9.1 billion worldwide. Um, and so nobody else even has $10 billion. No other franchise even has $10 billion worldwide. Star Wars can get there this year, of course, with Solo, a Star Wars story coming out in just a few weeks. But, you know, it's certainly they're they're never going to I, Star Wars probably can't catch Marvel because if they're releasing one film a year while Marvel continues to release two or three or possibly even getting up to four films per year, you know, Marvel just feels like it's going to be. Uh, forever out of reach. And I know you can make the the obvious point that Star Wars is going to have a higher average per film, or at least has had a higher average per film, but I think there's something to be said for Marvel Studios 
to be averaging now just under, and actually it's going to go over this when you keep adding up Infinity Wars total, but as of right now, it's just under $843 million worldwide per film for 19 films that are released uh, over the course of 10 years. And the fact that Marvel, is their average is going up after all of this time uh, and so much content right around the time. I mean, audiences should have been getting tired of this by now, but it's not happening. And so it's really impressive to see this performance from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, the, and I think it's because they just continue to progress, find, find new ways to reimagine these characters, these worlds, reinvent them as they're going, as we've seen with something like Thor Ragnarok last year, but then also uh, giving audiences new stories, new characters, new worlds that they haven't seen like Wakanda and Black Panther earlier this year. And of course, something on the scale that audiences had never, ever, ever seen like Avengers Infinity War. It's amazing. It's funny. Somebody had asked me on last week's Q&A, I think it was Wu S. Kim, who had mentioned that, uh, it asked me how uh, just some paraphrasing here, but how I would uh, you know talk about the MCU to future generations and describe these first three phases. And I wouldn't describe the stories. I would just show people the movies, but just in terms of where, what the Marvel cinematic universe is, and especially in this first decade, it's, it's very easy to call it game changing. And it has been, but it's weird because Marvel changed the game. And, so that other studios tried to do what Marvel has done, but they really, so far, nobody's really been able to do it uh, successfully or with anywhere near the kind of success that Marvel has had. And so, yes, they've changed the game, but they've changed it so much that they've essentially created a new game that only they can play, and they just continue to do it, and they they play it better than anybody. It's like, you know, when you're playing cards with a kid or a game, a board game with a kid and they don't know the rules, so they just make up their own rules and whatever it is that lets them win. That's kind of what Marvel has done, except it actually makes sense and they actually deserve the victory that they've had because they've invented something that really nobody else can do. And, and, and I love seeing it with Infinity War. This movie can't exist without all the extraordinary, uh, the extraordinary storytelling that Marvel's done over the past 10 years and, and really taking these bold steps and being willing to do something differently in terms of how narrative is structured through film. Yes, you can take a single Marvel movie and, and boil it down to a three-act structure, but there's also this other ongoing narrative that runs through it. So being able to serve those dual purposes of an individual cinematic experience with also a much bigger and uh, more collective cinematic experience, it's really... Um, it's. I know we probably say like we appreciate it all the time and we enjoy it as Marvel fans, but even just if you think about it just from a broader perspective of movies and blockbusters, it re it just starts to look even more impressive the more you really think about all these different details uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the success of Marvel Studios with $16 billion and counting. Now, I want to talk about a few other things and... This is where I will throw out a uh, obligatory spoiler warning for Avengers Infinity War. I'm pretty sure most of you have seen the movie by now. I mean, you are listening to a Marvel podcast, but just in case you haven't, maybe you live in a market like China where the movie isn't out yet. But if you haven't seen the film, then this is where we go ahead and part ways for this episode. And then we'll be back with you uh, next week, although you'll want to see it because next week is going to be 
our Avengers four speculation show. Uh, I didn't want to do that this week because I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that Paul was going to be available to, uh, to jump on with that one. But I want to go ahead and talk about some other details that have kind of emerged about infinity war slash Avengers four, because the Russos have been, making some press appearances, even the movie's already out. And so they've had kind of had follow-up interviews with some of the outlets because it was, it was a different kind of thing doing the junket, uh, this time for infinity war. Normally when you do a junket, the press have, uh, and usually, cause when I cover these junkets, usually I've seen the movie and then in the instances where you're fortunate enough to get interviews and I didn't have any with infinity war, but other people did normally you get to ask, some non-spoiler questions to run before the movie comes out and some spoiler questions to save and, and run when the movie is out. But of course, no press had seen the movie when the junket happened. So the Russos have done some follow-up interviews uh, now that the movie's out and with all those press so they could get in some of those spoiler questions. So that's how, and plus they've just done some Q and A's. They did one at Iowa city high school. They did one at the Smithsonian. So that's where some of this new uh, information is coming. So I want to go over just a few of the, the highlights that I've noticed. So the best one that I've seen so far is uh, it just came out. I think the day before I'm recording this show, it's the, it's MTV's uh, happy, sad, confused podcast with Josh Horowitz. He sat down and did about, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes or so with the Russos and, and really got some good spoiler details. So the first thing that they talked about was the, or the first highlight that I have here is they talked about the death of Gamora. And what I found interesting about this is I thought that, you know, that James Gunn was, you know, James Gunn had always talked about how closely he worked with the Guardian stuff on Infinity War and, and all of that. And so Josh Horowitz had kind of asked uh, the Russos about what, it, you know, this idea of, of killing Gamora in this scene in, uh, in Infinity War, what was that like? Because James Gunn was going to be working with, uh, working obviously with the Guardians again for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and and so what the Russos said was they never actually spoke with James Gunn about it. They they spoke with Marvel Studios with Kevin Feige, and they assumed that Kevin Feige spoke with James Gunn, but the Russos never had any pushback regarding that. Um, and then. So that kind of makes you feel like, well, if they didn't get any pushback, then that must mean that it's because she's ultimately coming back in Avengers 4, and that was also part of the pitch. Maybe that's true, um, but we had a couple things. First, there was a little bit of a confusing note from that uh, Iowa City Q&A where it was suggested that you know Joe that the Russos had said that it was that the scene that you see in Infinity War after Thanos snaps his fingers and it's in this, uh, you know, where it's, it's the orange background and he talks to the young version of Gamora. There was, you know, there were a lot of people just assumed that that was, you know, Gamora's soul and that means she's still alive. And when the Russos were asked about Iowa City or asked, asked about that during that Q&A at the Iowa City High School, Joe Russo had confirmed that is inside the soul stone and that is the soul of Gamora. And he kind of walked that back a little bit in this interview on the happy, sad, confused podcast. He did uh, Joe Russo did confirm again. It is the soul stone that we're seeing, but rather than saying that is definitely Gamora's soul, it was more, he called it a reflection of her spirit. And he also kind of referred to it as Thanos being in kind of a, a dream state that the power the power used to uh, when he snapped his fingers and to kill off half the universe by just snapping his fingers with the gauntlet 
it was so powerful and so cathartic that in addition to the physical damage that you see to the gauntlet and to Thanos's own left arm, it also kind of put him into a, a little bit of a, a dream state. So they're not so they they walk it back in the sense that the way they describe it now it doesn't necessarily confirm that the soul stone is a physical you know or or the soul world as it's called in the comics inside the soul stone that that is an actual physical location in the marvel cinematic universe uh and that that's what you see in infinity war um i think it is though i think it is something that you know because the soul stone red skull describes it as having a certain kind of wisdom uh, amongst the other stones. So I think there is something going on there. I don't think it's as simple as a dream that just doesn't count. Uh, I think it very much counts. Now, the reflection of Gamora's spirit is interesting in that description because uh, when, when you look at what what's happening there, why is it, if it's just Gamora's soul, she died as an adult? Why would she be appearing? Why would her soul be a, a child? And the two reasons for that potentially are... Uh, this is the reflection of Gamora's spirit that Thanos would want to see because that's how he always thought of her. He calls her little one throughout the film, even though she's obviously grown. So he, he still sees her as that child, you know, so the one, the person he sacrificed when he thinks of, uh, you know, cause when the, this reflection of, of the spirit of young Gamora asks him, what did it cost? And he says, everything, well, everything was Gamora and everything was that little girl that he found on her, on her home planet. And so you have that, but then you could also say the idea is our, our souls really, you know, our reflection, our manifestation of our souls would be our childlike selves because it's our pure essence before we are corrupted by uh, the trials of life that we all eventually go through. So because it's been kind of walked back, they've, you know, they've left the door open a little more in terms of whether or not she will definitely come back or whether or um, you know, or whether or not there's, you know, that she might actually remain dead. And what we're seeing in there is not necessarily an indication that Gamora is indeed still alive or, or her soul is still present so that that way it could potentially be released from the soul stone and allow her to come back to life. I don't really know. I mean, we can obviously see it going either way, but I still am a little surprised to hear that, you know, that James Gunn wouldn't even get like a heads up. I mean, again, he didn't, he could have gotten it from Feige and not necessarily from the Russos, but I feel like if Gamora, uh, even though Marvel would give the Russos and, and the writers, Marcus and McFeely, the space to do what they felt like they needed to do. I also kind of feel like that's, you know, killing Gamora, which would certainly alter, uh, killing Gamora in such a way that she is not going to come back by the end of Avengers four, Seems like the kind of thing that uh, James Gunn might be a little more involved in, but maybe not. Um, and maybe that really is not an indication that Gamora is going to come back. I'm kind of on the fence right now in terms of what I think is going to happen there. I shared on the Q and on last week's Q and A. I also brought it up on the Superhero News Show today that uh, you know when I was trying, I, I remembered that Zoe Saldana had done filming for Avengers Four or during Avengers four production late last year. And so I was wondering if, uh, so I went back to try and see what she looked like because she had posted stuff on Instagram. And I found posts from December where she was wearing a costume that was not in infinity war. And, uh, you know, but the costume that she was wearing in infinity war, or I'm sorry, the costume she was wearing during this, uh, this day on set where she was in her trailer for Avengers four, 
you know, well, the fact that it wasn't the costume from Infinity War showed it wasn't additional photography or a reshoot for Infinity War. It was for Avengers 4, except she was wearing the costume that she had worn, uh, that she wore originally on Xandar when she met Star-Lord, Rocket, and Groot uh, in the in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. And so that tells me that maybe Gamora, there, uh, we all know about the time travel theories with the Time Stone. You also have the possibility of flashbacks, and then you have the possibility of barf by narrowly augmented retroframing. Maybe Tony hook, uh, hooks Rocket up with that technology or Nebula. Well, Nebula wasn't there, but by hooking Rocket up with that technology, he could go back and see Gamora uh, from that scene because he, of course, interacted with her uh, during that scene on uh, on Xandar. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and certainly the Russos walking things back a little bit uh, or maybe clarifying some things because I didn't really see direct quotes about what they said on the Soul Stone from that Iowa City Q&A, so maybe just some things got uh, misquoted or misheard or whatever, but with this clarification that they've given, unfortunately this clarification makes it less clear as to what exactly is uh, is going on with Gamora, but obviously it's just more food for thought and more things to drive us crazy as we speculate over the next uh, over the next year. Now another thing that I've been tracking and that I've been wondering is are they going to address uh, will the Russos address the fact that that Hulk was in that big kind of hero shot, the the kind of the go-home shot of the first trailer where all the heroes are kind of running towards camera in Wakanda, and it's a bunch of heroes that we knew that we ultimately saw in Wakanda, except instead of in being in Hulkbuster armor, it was the Hulk. And there are also toys that are based on this idea of Bruce Banner being inside the Hulkbuster armor and then turning into the Hulk uh, while there, and then of course bursting out of it. There's a Hasbro toy based on that. I think there's now a Funko Pop based on that, and of course that has nothing to, that has nothing to do with anything that we see happen in Infinity War, which makes which begs the question: Did something change, or was something was a shot from Avengers Four, uh, like as if you know maybe something happens where we get to replay the Battle of Wakanda in Avengers Four? Is that what's is that what's going on here? And they they pulled it from Infinity War and saved it for Avengers Four. Well, the Russos talked about that on the Happy Sad Confused podcast. They Anthony Russo noted that toy decisions and stuff like that uh, happened, you know, before the story and the script were finalized. Um, you know, Joe Russo then talked about how the trailer is a different experience in the movie, and they manipulated shots that aren't in the movie and used CG, including Hulk to tell a story specifically for the trailer and not for the film. And uh, Anthony Russo said that hero shot with Hulk, that it was never in the movie and it was never even uh, even created in that version for the movie. They never said it wasn't created for Avengers 4, so I guess we can still hold on to that if we have to. But I'm starting to think that, yeah, it really was just to create a cool shot for the trailer. And... I'm, but now I am wondering if maybe we're going to see some replay of the Battle of Wakanda because of some shenanigans with the Time Stone that Doctor Strange might have pulled. But then again, for a finale of Avengers 4, you may want something bigger than just a replay of a battle from the last film just with a different result. So I'm not sure what to think of that. Right now, I'm, I'm leaning towards it really was just marketing. Uh, it really was just a... A red herring, which doesn't mean we won't see the Hulk emerge from Hulkbuster armor, but it may not be that shot specifically may not end up being 
Uh, it may never be used, or even if it is used, it may not be quite as big of a deal as they made it seem in the trailer. Because obviously, the trailer had a very specific purpose of we got to show you an exam a big hero shot of all these characters uh, coming together and uniting and, and fighting on the same side. So. It served its purpose in the trailer. Whether or not it gets to serve any other purpose later on, it had no purpose for Infinity War, and then we'll just have to see if it has any serves any purpose for uh, Avengers Four. And speaking of Avengers Four, the last update that we got from the Russos it was via ComicBook.com in their follow up interview with the Russos. Uh, they mentioned that nobody has guessed it right in terms of the title of Avengers 4. Kevin Feige ruled out Infinity Gauntlet last week, and the Russos uh, have also ruled out the one that's been circulating over the past few days, which is Avengers Forever. Uh, they've said that one's the closest, but that's not it. And they've also said that it's not based on, it doesn't have, as far as they know, any correlation to any comic, unless it's maybe a more obscure, you know, it's a coincidental uh, reference. It's, it's an unintentional, you know, similarity to any other title from, from a comic book. And, but in terms of the major stories, uh, it's not something like that. So you can, you can rule out if we have already ruled out infinity war or I'm sorry, infinity gauntlet Avengers forever. We can probably rule out things like as, and I think these were pretty much ruled out already anyway, but secret invasion, secret wars, uh, Thanos imperative on down the line, we can start uh, taking that out of it. But yeah, if it's Avengers, now people are going to start thinking, well, what sounds like Avengers Forever? Well, there's Avengers Eternal, Avengers Eternity. Like, There's just there's tons of stuff that you can kind of go. And so now at least we have something to maybe guess it right. But the bigger point for me, though, is I'm, I'm at the point now where I just don't even really care what they call Avengers for. I just want to see it. I, I care more about what happens than uh, than what it's called. But I'm still in such... I mean, I've been doing Avengers 4 speculation. We did it on the Superhero News Show. We're going to, Paul and I will do more of it on this show, and I'm, I'm sure I'll do tons and tons more over the next year. But I'm just at this point where I'm still so happy just digesting Avengers Infinity War that I don't care that much about, uh, I just don't care that much about Avengers, about the title of Avengers 4, whatever they call it. It's not, I don't think there's anything they could call it that's going to make me look forward to the film any more or less. Right now, I'm just, I've still got Infinity War on the brain, and I have it so much so that it's difficult to even really start looking forward into Avengers 4, even though I'm doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure I'll, I'll continue to, but I'm, get, I'm just excited about going and seeing that next chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So whatever they call it, I'm game. I'm sure it's going to be. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be just fine. Now I have some time left here. So before I uh, before I head out, I want to make sure I take some time to answer some questions, so you kind of get an idea of what it's like being part of our uh, part of our Patreon. Because this is the kind of stuff I do every week over there. Uh, and answer tons and tons of questions, but I have time for a few here on the show, and then I will answer more uh, over on the uh, Patreon credit scene, where I'll also give some of my thoughts on the uh, new trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp that dropped next week. So we have a question from Hector Giovanni Navarrete. So how do you think BARF, by nearly augmented retro framing, is actually going to play into Avengers 4? Like, what's the purpose of the character seeing the Battle of New York again? And also going back to see when the Guardians of the Galaxy first met. Uh, honest answer, I really don't know. I mean, the time travel thing 
makes sense because time travel would be, hey, we can take all the Infinity Stones before Thanos gets them. So go to the Battle of New York, take the Tesseract, go to Xandar, secure the orb, and get the Power Stone. The time travel thing, I can understand the function of it. Uh, when it comes to barf, barf is about processing what's happened. It, you can't change it. Like when Tony, you know, as all those MIT students witness, when Tony goes and, and relives the, uh, when Tony goes and relives the final moments with the, the last time he saw his parents, he doesn't get to change that they, you know, he doesn't get to change that they died. He only gets to, he doesn't get to change anything about it. He, the only thing he can change is the interaction. And of course, it doesn't really change the history of it. It just kind of makes him feel better. So I would imagine if there is some purpose for it, because it can't actually alter the past, but maybe it allows them to, maybe it allows them to learn something, learn some weakness about the Infinity Stones, because maybe that's it. It's, it's just, it's, it's R&D for the Infinity Stones. Let's try and learn more about the Power Stone. Let's learn more about the Tesseract. So let's go back to when we first saw or first encountered these Infinity Stones, and let's deal with it there. Maybe they have to go back um, and talk to Steve. Maybe they have to go back to the Battle of New York because maybe Steve Rogers has already died at that point in Avengers 4, or maybe... You know, Gamora has already died. In fact, all of the Guardians have died. Um, or maybe it's not, you know, maybe it is just more of what Tony did. Maybe it's it's set up for more emotional scenes, and it's not as functional or as, as practical. Maybe this is how we see Avengers and Guardians dealing with loss in the film. All of that could be in play, um, but I, I think it would be more along the lines of just, if it is barf that we're ha that's happening in those scenes. And I know Joe Russo said as much when... Uh, on that Happy, Sad, Confused podcast on a previous episode a few months ago when Josh Horowitz asked them how they feel about time travel as a device in films. And then Joe Russo just, you know, he acknowledged paparazzi photos, set photos, and then said there was a piece of technology that they introduced in Civil War that, you know, could be what people were seeing there. So he definitely implied that what you're seeing is, is barf and not time travel, but that could have been a misdirect, you know, you can't just believe everything they say the, they say in interviews when you know that they also put stuff in when they also tell you that they put stuff in trailers that's very that they intend to to use to be a you know to be a misdirect to throw you off the scent. So even bringing up bar, you know just because Barf is in, could be involved in Infinity War doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't mean that time travel is not also a part of it. Or that could I mean I feel like. The binarily augmented retro framing is part of Infinity War because they did introduce it and set it up in Civil War. Or I'm sorry, Avengers 4 because they did introduce it and set it up in Civil War. So I feel like it gets to be part of it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the only thing. So that's why I'm a little... But its purpose, it has to be more... It has to be purely informational because, again, you can't actually change what happened using that technology unless Tony's really... Uh, you know, unless Tony's really made a difference with what that technology is and what it can actually do, but that just seems impossible. Time you need a, you need a time stone to really actually go back and uh, change things. Uh, another question from uh, Tim Costello. Clearly, Civil War did a number on the Avengers in Infinity War. The Avengers aren't acting as a unified uh, unit. You could argue that 
that's what led them to lose against Thanos. Obviously, in Avengers 4, to defeat Thanos, they'll need to come together. What do you think is going to get them to do so? Well, I think the tragedy that they all just witnessed is going to have a, a unifying effect. But I don't think it will be as simple as uh, Tony shows up, Tony gets back to Earth, he's got Nebula with him now, and he sees Steve Rogers and these other original Avengers and, and Rocket. And I don't think it's like, oh, hey, everybody's gone. So, and this is so terrible. We might as well just start getting along. I, I don't think it will be that simple. I think there will be uh, some guilt that they both feel, or and maybe all of the Avengers feel, but just focusing more on Tony and Steve for a second. I think they will, will be upset with each other still. Um, they will be... Uh, but they they will also feel guilty, I think, on an individual level and I, and also collectively that that you know yes, Tony has legitimate reasons for being angry with Steve, and Steve has legitimate reasons for being angry with Tony, but they let all of that get into the way and, and destroy their relationship to a point where they couldn't come together when Earth really needed them to, and in some ways in Infinity War they didn't really have the opportunity to come together. Because, you know, before Tony knew it, like he heard about Thanos and then within minutes, uh, he, Tony was in a battle and then wound up on a spaceship traveling from Earth. So there wasn't, uh, there wasn't really going to be a, a big opportunity for the Avengers to come together. Uh, but you also have to remember that even before that battle started in New York, Tony had the phone and he was ready and he could have called Steve and he hesitated. You know, before he even knew that there was an urgent threat outside, he knew that Thanos was coming and that he needed to call Steve, and he didn't feel like he could do that. And Steve will probably, uh, you know, would understand maybe a little bit of his role and why Tony couldn't do that. So I think there will be some initial anger and disappointment and maybe some blame about, you know, why things ended up being so bad that the Avengers couldn't come together when Earth needed them to. But I think that... I think the shared tragedy will kind of help them see past that and that they need to wake up and realize that this is all uh, so much bigger than them and, and the conflict that they had really doesn't matter on this cosmic scale that they're now playing on. And so I don't, I think, you know, I think by the end of the first act, we're going to see a lot of those issues worked out and it's just time to move forward and figure out what we're going to do to, uh, what we're going to do to overcome this threat that that beat us you know we, we we normally win but this time this time we lost uh next question comes in from nicholas sanchez i'm now convinced that the whole marvel phase three event was a bad idea especially announcing infinity war as being two parts i'm really enjoying uh, the general public not being aware that there's another avengers movie coming next year but us fans walked in seeing this as the first half of a larger story. Part of me is jealous of the public's ignorance right now, and I sort of wish we all felt this brief sense of finality as Infinity War ended. Do you think it would have been a better idea to have come into this movie with absolutely no official knowledge of an Avengers 4, and maybe Marvel should have announced Avengers 4 a month or so after Infinity War's release? It... it the El Capitan event aside from October 2014, uh, regardless of that, we would have known, uh, anybody paying attention to this stuff would have known that Avengers 4 was coming 
next year. Studios have to, you know, stake out release dates years in advance. That's why we have untitled Marvel release dates going you know, a few years into the future now. And so we would have known that there was an untitled Marvel movie, and they could have put any fake movie and pretended it was a different production, but they still, in order to achieve uh, Infinity War plus Avengers 4 the very next year, they still had to go out and make all those movies in one year like they did last year. And we, it would have been figured out. It, somebody would have scooped it at some point that these were two different movies and that it was most likely going to be something that would come, that would be, uh, that would arrive almost right away or, you know, not long after infinity war within a year. So I don't, I don't think there was a way to really hide it. What I think Marvel did a great job of is keeping in, you know, with Disney marketing and everybody, they did a really good job of keeping the focus on infinity war. So yes, there are those of us who, who know more and know that other movies are coming, but you had a lot of other audience members that, that maybe didn't know, or even if they did, it just wasn't on the top of their mind. And so it impacts them in a different way. But, but to me, the impact of infinity war is the same because it's not the existence of Avengers four next year that has me doubting the, you know, that certain characters aren't going to come back. Like I, they just got Spider-Man in the MCU. So even if I didn't know that there was an Avengers four next year, I wouldn't, I would still be doubting, uh, you know, that, that Spider-Man would be permanently gone or, or T'Challa would be permanently gone right after the success of, uh, of black Panther. So there was no real way to change that. And, but that's not, that's not where I get the emotional impact from the emotional impact of infinity war of that ending to me is not, really believing that characters are gone. And, and so, um, you know, and, and if that's the emotional impact that other, you know, more mainstream moviegoers might be having, that's, that's fine. And if it's working for them or providing a thrill, that's great. But the emotional impact for me has always been that I'm, I'm empathizing with the characters because they don't know what I know. They don't know that they are characters in movies that come back the next, you know, that are coming back the next year. So when Spider-Man's dying, I'm not seeing Tom Holland, the actor, uh, performing a scene, you know, pretending he's going to die when he's coming back. I'm seeing a 15, 16 year old Peter Parker who believe who really believes he's dying and is terrified and doesn't want to go. And I'm seeing Tony Stark watching this kid that he feels responsible for. He's watching this kid go. And so that's what it's about is the characters who are fading. They believe they're dying and they might actually be dying depending on how it is they come back that doesn't nece- that may not necessarily change the fact that who we saw died died in that moment um and also the characters watching them die i mean you have people watching their friends just literally fade away in front of them and so that emotional impact was pretty severe for me and so that's why i'm i'm not jealous of uh, you know, of people who may know a little bit less about how things work. And cause it's not, it may change what causes the emotional impact, but I don't think I have any less of emotional impact than, than everybody else. And, and in fact, I would say maybe, maybe mine is even stronger cause I'm, I live with this stuff every day. And so I'm, I'm as invested as any fan can be in the stories of these characters in the Marvel cinematic universe. And so seeing their reactions is what gets, uh, you know, that, that that's what gets the reaction out of me, at least as far as that, 
you know, that ending scene that happens uh, after the snap. So I, I don't, I do have, the only issues I have really with the El Capitan event, it has nothing to do with Infinity War, has nothing to do with, you know, the idea of a part two or Avengers 4. It, it has nothing to do with any of that. I think what the the negative impact, if if it had on anything, was probably Avengers Age of Ultron, just because that movie hadn't even come out yet. It was still several months from release, but before that movie came out, people were already looking forward to the entire next phase of the MCU that would begin with Civil War and then continue all the way through these Infinity War movies, uh, you know, which at the time was a part one and part two. That's the thing that could have been a bad idea is it had people looking too far into the future and not enough uh, at the present. But uh, I think now, w- with where things are at now, I think it's, uh, I think it's okay. Uh, I'll take a couple more questions before we get out of here. Uh, question from Chris. couple quick dumb questions. Is it me or did Thanos' army, the Outriders, look like the symbiote? Any chance the snap creates a multiverse where Deadpool and Venom come to the MCU and all the talk denying uh, this is all just a smokescreen? Uh, and then will the Avengers 4 movie have the uh, one above all meet Captain Marvel and Thanos, uh, hoping something cool like that. Mainly, I just thought that the Outriders looked like Outriders from the comic books. I didn't necessarily think they looked like the symbiote, although I guess to be fair, in the comics, the Outriders look not completely dissimilar to the symbiote. So there is some overlap uh, visually in in the overall design of those characters. So I can see where some people are are making that connection. It's certainly not any implication in the story that the Outriders are part of the symbiote or that alien race or, or anything like that. So it's it's a separate thing. It's just a you know a little bit of a visual similarity that's really more bred of their comic book uh, their comic book design similarities, I think, than anything else. But yeah, as I said, they look like just Outriders to me, and I thought they served their purpose just fine in uh, in Infinity War. Now, as far as the snap creating a multiverse where Deadpool and Venom come to the MCU and all this talk denying it is just a smokescreen. No way. No way. I mean, as you as you heard in the opening of the show, when I talking about the Comcast, you know, Comcast potentially buying Fox out from under Disney, that's a very real thing that can happen. And that's why these kinds of things are not happening. You know, these the the dreams that fans have that that things are being worked on behind the scenes to reshape Avengers four and the, and that we could start seeing Fox characters jump in as soon as that film, that's not happening. And, and frankly, even if that stuff was pot, cause it's not possible that the Disney Fox deal, if it goes through, there's a really good chance that it doesn't even close until after Avengers four hits theaters. Even if it closes before then, it is highly unlikely that it would close bef- close within enough time to film or rework anything to include uh, Marvel material and properties that are currently owned by Fox to put any of those in Avengers 4. And I also think that even if those options weren't on the table, I genuinely believe Kevin Feige and everybody else at Marvel when they say that that's not what this is about, and I don't think that's what they would want to do. I think Avengers 4 is about concluding the story that's been told over the first 10 years in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not, I don't think that would feel, I I see like the geek out appeal of it, but 
I don't think ultimately it would be a satisfying experience for moviegoers because it would it might seem cool when you first see it, but then when you look back on it, it's just going to feel hollow because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been all about bringing you to moments that are earned, earned by the stories that have been told, but also earned by you as the audience member because these are things that you have been investing in for years and years and years. So that's what this is about. It's the culmination. It's the end of this era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not about setting up the next one. It's not about shoehorning in characters from a completely different continuity that has nothing to do with the MCU. You know, don't I, I would not have any expectations of anything like that happening. It's it's not a smokescreen. I don't think any of that is uh, is likely or you know there's I, I just I can't envision a reality in which that happens outside of the reality stone actually being a real thing and somebody makes it happen. But uh, short of that, we're not going to see those kinds of things popping up in Avengers four as far as whether or not uh, they'll meet the, the one above all meeting Captain Marvel and Thanos. I have no idea. I'm not a huge fan of the one above all. I prefer the living tribunal and eternity. If we're going to get really big and cosmic with certain characters, uh, I would not be shocked if Celestials come into Avengers Four. Uh, they did. They were. They. We saw a Celestial in Guardians of the Galaxy. We saw one wielding the Power Stone as the Collector was doing a rundown of Infinity Stones. Uh, nowhere is the severed head of a Celestial, and that's a thing in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously, and also Infinity War. So, you know, we could see. Celestials or bigger cosmic entities like Eternity or the Living Tribunal, um, maybe some of those, maybe one of those things, or maybe a couple of those things could factor into Avengers Four. I kind of doubt it because I think they want to keep the story on the heroes that we've already known. But maybe one can't big cameo appearance that's that's just needed as some as just to up the power level to defeat Thanos. That could potentially happen, but I kind of feel like Captain Marvel is mainly going to be the power upgrade that the Avengers want and need in order to uh, take down Thanos in Avengers 4. But I could be wrong. So let me finish up with a question from Jenna Bartz. Uh, not a question not necessarily, but I'd be curious on your thoughts as to how they will go about bringing back characters like Spidey and T'Challa in Avengers 4. Will they completely undo the snap? It's, if so, what sort of price will they pay? Um, well, I have a few theories on that. And I don't want to completely ruin our, our speculation show, but uh, so I'll kind of te- so I'll but I'll tease some of that uh, here. So I have a few different theories that in terms of how characters get brought back, and to make a long story short on those theories, I think it's possible that Doctor Strange has found some way because I, do- I think Doctor Strange is the key to it because he's the one who. He gave up the Time Stone for exactly the reason he said he wouldn't give up the Time Stone. He says in Infinity War, if it comes down to protecting the Time Stone and, you know, or letting, you know, you and the kid, you know, and letting you and the kid being Peter Parker, letting you, Tony, and the kid, Peter, die, Doctor Strange was willing to do that in order to keep Thanos from getting the Time Stone. But then we literally saw him do the exact opposite of that. Tony was about to die and... He, Doctor Strange gave up the Time Stone to save Tony's life. I don't believe that's because all of a sudden Doctor Strange feels a particular, uh, a specific affection now towards 
Tony Stark. I think it's because in the 14,605,000 futures that Doctor Strange witnessed, they own the Avengers or the good guys. They only want they only defeated Thanos in one of those possible futures, and so I think Doctor Strange is aware that that Tony Stark is is a key to that. But I think Doctor Strange is aware of, of everything. I think he foresaw what Thanos would do with the snap. He probably foresaw which heroes would die in the snap, and so he or you know which people because it's not just the heroes, right? It's it's trillions of people across. Uh, across the universe it's half of all life in the universe so maybe he's found some way to preserve that life in uh, another dimension uh, another reality in the multiverse that's possible um he could have put a spell on the time stone and that was the reason he was willing to give it up remember that thanos had to use in order to get the all of the stones and use the gauntlet he thanos had to use the mind the time stone because originally the mind stone was destroyed and then Thanos turned back time. So what if when he turned back time, Doctor Strange put in a, a spell in time stone that preserved the original timeline in which the Mind Stone was destroyed and Thanos didn't get the gauntlet? That's how we could see a replay of the Battle of Wakanda. So we could see something, we could see something like that. And so and there is an alternate timeline, timeline now that's preserved where everybody actually survived and they can go and, and fight Thanos. You also have... Uh, the possibility of, you know, there's there's another alternate timeline theory that I'll go into in more detail next week, but it could be, you know, everybody who's a lot, everybody who died and survived in the timeline that we saw, maybe there's an exact opposite timeline where instead of, you know, the original Avengers surviving, it's the original Avengers who died and then newer characters that survived and you merge those two timelines. So there's just, there's different, I think it's all, I think it's largely related to Doctor Strange and the Time Stone in terms of how the characters get to come back. And I don't know, but I think everybody's going to pay a high cost. I don't think it's necessarily people are going to be trading their lives for the people who disappeared because the math doesn't add up. Uh, that only really helps if you're talking about the heroes. It doesn't account for, again, the trillions of other people who died. So you have to bring everybody back, not just the heroes that we know, the faces and names that we know. And so... Doctor Strange is, is most likely the key to that, and it's going to be probably connected to uh, the Time Stone, whether it's alternate realities or uh, or timelines. But there will be a heavy price to pay, maybe not necessarily for bringing them back in terms of a trade, but still just getting to the point where they can maybe use the Time Stone or, access, or merge those timelines could, uh, or just another battle with Thanos. People could come back from what we saw at the end of Infinity War only to die later in battle in Avengers 4. I think there's a chance that that happens as well. So, you know, there's going to be, regardless, there's going to be a heavy price with uh, with Avengers 4, uh, both in relation to what we saw at the end of Infinity War and then, you know, just completely separately as we continue to see this conflict with Thanos uh, play out. So that is where I will go ahead and wrap up this episode of the podcast. Again, I will be doing a Patreon credit scene because I still have some more questions from our patrons that I'll be answering over there. And I will also be sharing some thoughts on the Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer that dropped last week. And again, you can find all of that information and all of our exclusive content over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios. And remember to check out the website, marvelstudiosnews.com and Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. So for Marvel Studios News, my name is Sean Gerber. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 